This week, I had the great privilege of talking to a dear friend of mine who lives on the other side of the country in a tropical climate. He was giving me a video tour of his home and of his backyard, and it was exciting because, of course, uh, where he lives, the sun is bright, the grass is green, the trees are seemingly constantly in blossom. But one of the things that came up in our conversation was that there was a row of fruit trees uh, that were along one side of his backyard. And even though he had identified most of them, there was one he wasn't so sure about. And we spent some time talking about whether it could have been a loquat tree or a kumquat tree, or whether it was a nuat tree, you know, because all of those are similar, but very different. And of course, the only way to really know what kind of tree it is to take the fruit that comes from the tree and compare it to fruit you may buy at a produce stand uh, that represents each of those varieties. The one it tastes like will be the one uh, that identifies the nature of the tree. You see, that's the way we would identify fruit on a tree. But how do we exactly examine and identify the fruit that flows out of our own lives? Jesus, in his teaching in the sermon that we've been looking at in Luke chapter 6, is very concerned that we are aware of the kind of fruit that we produce ourselves. And so I want us to look at that text together. We're at the end of Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 43, reading through the end of the chapter. Listen as I read from God's Word. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good, and the evil person, out of the evil, produces evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood rose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, Immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Thus ends the reading of our text. Every time we study God's Word, we want to make sure that we have come, that we have heard, and that we put it into practice. In order to have that happen in our lives, we need to pray and ask for God's help as we study His Word together. Let's pray and ask for that help right now. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for the love and grace that you have shown us. We are thankful that you have taught us. You have taught us from your word, and you have taught us here in this part of your word from the lips of Jesus. We pray, O oh Lord, that your spirit will enable us to hear them and to believe them and to put them into practice, that we may treasure them 
in our heart and see the product of this good word overflowing into our life. Oh Lord, I pray that your spirit will help me, the one who teaches, that you will use me to speak your word in a way that encourages those who listen and in a way that honors you. For it is for you that we do all these things. For we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. So as we look at this text, we are really looking at the end of Luke's presentation of this sermon of Jesus as we've been looking at it for the last several weeks. And if you'd like to go back and review, I would encourage you to do that. But today we're here at the conclusion. And at the conclusion, Jesus is concerned about two broad categories. Let's call it life productivity and life security. Now, of course, all of us should be very concerned about those two things. We certainly want to be productive, and without a doubt, we want to make sure that we are secure. So let's look at what he says about life productivity, productivity and life security. First of all, life productivity. I get that really from uh, the verses 43 down through verse 45, where Jesus is telling us that we need to examine the kind of fruit that we see growing or being produced out of our life. Notice what Jesus says is the way to ensure that your productivity is a positive and God-honoring productivity. He says it is when your heart is in the right place. Notice how he says it. He says uh, in verse 45, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. You see, I think this is something that we often forget, that our spiritual productivity is not determined by our will. It's not even determined by our circumstances as much as it is determined by what's going on in our heart. And when, of course, the Bible talks uh, about the heart, it is talking about the center of your being, the, the thing that makes you, you, your being, your essence. What is it that's going on in there? When our heart is properly aligned, then good fruit will flow out of our life. We will have a God-honoring productivity. But when our heart is bad, that is focused on or treasuring those things which it should not, our productivity is actually counterproductive and harmful to ourselves and to other people around us. This is so important because oftentimes whenever we think about our lives and we think about whether we are being successful or not, we think purely of our circumstances. We think about the specific things that we have done or the specific things that we have said. And we think by doing the right things and saying the right things that we will be productive. But in reality, if we are simply uh, adding sort of an artificial uh, word or an artificial action onto our life, then it is not going to be productive. It would be as though you tried to tape grapes onto a thorn bush. That would not make it uh, a grapevine. It would still be a thorn bush, but we would be pretending. And oftentimes, this is the way people who claim 
to follow Jesus live out their life. They only focus on those things that are external. But see, here Jesus wants each one of us to examine ourselves and ask, is our heart focused upon Christ? Notice the language uh, that it uses here. Jesus says the good treasure of his heart. That's where this good fruit comes out of. I like that word treasure. That means what is it that our heart is valuing? What does it what, do, what does our heart think is the most significant and important thing in all the world? You see, wherever our heart places its treasure will determine the kind of fruit or the kind of produce uh, that we will have in our lives. For instance, let's think about a couple of kinds of conflict uh, or sort of cross wires that we may get in this life that should be common to everybody. One, of course, would be simply a peer sort of relationship uh, cross-wired situation where somebody says something that hurts your feeling or you say something that hurts their feeling. You say something that's perhaps too aggressive, that's uncharitable, that's unkind, and of course, immediately we begin to defend our actions. We justify why it is we said what we said or did what we did. And we keep it on the surface of the issue. But the problem with that is that we will never truly enjoy reconciliation with that other person, that other person that we've offended, as long as we only focus on the external words and actions. You see, we have to be willing to deal with what in our heart caused that inappropriate action or word to come out. If we don't deal with that through self-examination, repentance, and faith, then it will be difficult for us to enjoy the true restoration of relationship that comes from when we get our heart back treasuring the correct things. Another situation would be, of course, in a situation of a parent and a child. All too often, uh, parents, whenever they're concerned about their children, are only concerned about how their children act. In other words, what is their external behavior? What are the words that come out of their mouth? For instance, if uh, little Susie tells little Johnny, I hate you, we, we jump all over them and we say, we don't use words like hate. We don't say that word. Well, you know what'll happen is all, if all we have dealt with is the word that was used, they'll say, I hate you, never using those words in the future. They could even say, I love you. And it would sound pretty hateful. In other words, if we're going to deal with the issue there, we need to make sure that we're talking about what's going in the on in the heart of the child. We need to take time to talk and to listen, to see what it is that the child is hanging on to, is valuing more than their relationship with their sibling. You see, these are just examples about how we produce out of what is in our heart. And this is very helpful for us because so often we can see what's going on in our heart uh, by what we say. Now, some commentators believe that here in this part of the text that Jesus still has people who teach in mind, people who are 
not greater than their great teacher, Jesus, but are certainly emulating him in teaching and telling his truths to others. And what he's saying is you can never speak the truth unless your heart treasures Christ himself. And we see that in uh, when it says at the end of that portion of the text in verse 45, he says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If you want a surefire way to see where your heart is moment by moment, listen to what you say. Are you saying words that are true, that are loveful, loving, and that are helpful for building others up? If those are the kinds of words that come out of your mouth, even when you're not even conscious of them, then it probably shows that you have been spending time making sure your heart is completely focused on the true treasure that is Jesus Christ. But if you find that too often your words are of a biting, critical, impatient, or mean and hateful sort of tone, then we know the problem isn't just that our language is slipping. The language is that our heart priority has probably slipped, and we need to do that self-evaluating work. You see, I want to make one more comment about how to have this uh, productive life, this life that's full of fruitfulness, is that when Jesus talks about this, his primary concern is not that those who hear him uh, go around and become what we call fruit inspectors in the lives of others. Now, when you're a parent, you're obligated to do that, of course, for your child. But here, he is concerned that his followers do the fruit inspection about themselves. What is flowing out of them? And what does it say about their heart? When we keep a close watch on ourselves, we'll always have opportunity to confess our sins to God and to trust him anew, asking him that he would become the most valuable thing in all of the universe to us again. And so he wants us to make sure we're productive, but he also wants us to understand that we can have a secure life. You see, here he's at the very end of his teaching there in this particular episode. And he wants to make sure that people don't walk away thinking, well, I heard it, so therefore I must have it when it comes to the teaching and truth about Jesus. No, he wants them to make sure that they have life security. Now, I want us to see real quickly there in verse 47, the three areas that Jesus says have to be involved in order for us to enjoy this life security. There he says, everyone who comes to me, everyone who hears my words, and everyone who, who does them. Those three things, come to him, hear his words, and do them. Now, I want us to look at that under the three headings uh, first of all, is there needs to be a relational aspect to our encounter with Jesus. Secondly, there needs to be an intellectual aspect in our encounter with Jesus. And thirdly, there needs to be a faith-filled aspect 
in our coming to Jesus. And he talks about these, and all three are so important because they are elements of how we can be certain that our life is secure. Now, first of all, we have to come to him. That is that we have to see him, uh, Jesus, as a source of truth, a source of knowledge, a source of wisdom, of one who truly is the great teacher uh, above whom there is no one. He is the one that can give us true and exact direction in our life. We need to come to him and get to know him. We need to get to know him, not just about him. We need to get to know him. And that's a very important distinction. For too often, people know about him, but have not come into relationship with him. And how do we do that? Well, we do that by continuing to read this story, the story that Luke writes here in his gospel, or the story that Matthew writes in his gospel, or Mark writes in his gospel, or the story that John writes in his gospel, or the stories about Jesus that we find uh, in the teaching of the apostles uh, and Acts and following. But we need to learn about Jesus and know him, not about him. And so we come to him. And so oftentimes we hear people say in, uh, in churches around the world today that you need to have a relationship with Jesus. That means that he needs to be more than an abstraction or historical figure, but he needs to be a living, breathing God who became man that you have entered into a relationship with. How do we do that? We do that by believing in him, by believing these words are true, by talking to him in prayer and by giving our lives to him and our commitment to him. But here he says security is not only in being in relationship with him, but you also need to hear his words. I think too often people say that they are Christians or that they follow Jesus and are very unfamiliar with the actual things that Jesus taught. We need to know what it means to be in the kingdom of God. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? To know that, we need to listen to his words. For in his words, he's teaching us about the nature of the kingdom that he is the king of. Even in this sermon, think of the things that he has already mentioned. He has mentioned that uh, it is those who recognize their need for God's grace, the poor, the hungry, that will experience the grace of God and be welcomed and counted as part of his kingdom. It is those who not only are loving toward those who love them, but those who recognize that God has loved them so much in Jesus that they can love those who hate them, that they can pray for and do good to their enemies. They are the kind of people Jesus describes in this sermon that whenever they think about the need of someone else to deal with a foible or a sin or something that is going wrong in their life, that the first step is to look at yourself and make sure that you are living a life that honors God and deal with what Jesus calls the log that is in our eyes. See, these are just a few 
of the descriptions Jesus gives of what it means to follow him and be his disciples. Have we heard that? Have we intellectually grabbed a hold of that? For that is a component. But thirdly here, Jesus says that we have to put these words into practice. It says we have to do them. Now, of course, immediately you think, well, that's obedience. Why did you say that that's being faithful? I want us to think just for a moment what it means when I'm in relationship with somebody, I intellectually have heard and understood what they've taught, and then I do them. That movement from knowing the person, knowing what they teach, and then doing it shows that I trust that the words and instructions that he have, has given are the perfect way to live my life. The only way for me to live in a way that honors God and honors Jesus whom I serve. You see, by putting them into practice, I am expressing my faith in Jesus. You see, if I claim to have a relationship with him, and I even am very knowledgeable about what he said and what he did, and yet I don't respond in faith by actually doing those things that he's instructed, it shows that, in fact, his word has not gone all the way down to my heart. It hasn't changed the way I look at myself and the world around me. Jesus says, no, all three of these things are important. You need to come to me, you need to hear me, and you need to do the things that I say. Now, this is very, very helpful for us uh, because uh, we recognize that just knowing about him is not enough. And I just want to take a second and talk about that for a second. I have no idea who's listening or, or watching our sermon this week, but I do know that sometimes people who watch and listen to sermons know a lot about Jesus. They maybe have grown up hearing about him. But we need to be very clear that just knowing about him does not make us secure in him. We have to be in that relationship with him, and it needs to be manifest in our faithful obedience in him. Now, I am in no way suggesting that we are secure because we obey. No, we're secure because we have the type of faith that produces obedience. It is our faith, our trust in him and him alone for our salvation. Now, why in the world will we put our whole life in the hands of Jesus? Because we know the whole story, that Jesus lived a perfect life that none of us have ever or could ever live, and that Jesus then, at the end of his life, went to a cross. And there on that cross, he did not die for anything he had done wrong, but he died because you and I have done everything wrong, because we have rebelled against God, because we have not treasured him in our hearts. Our produce has been bad produce because of the bad treasure in our heart. And the Bible says that people like that, people like me, deserve to be judged by God to death. But instead, God judged Jesus to death. Jesus took my penalty. He took the death the penalty that I deserved. 
And on the third day, he rose again from the dead so that not only had he taken away the guilt and judgment that my sin deserves, but he offers to me his perfect life that I can enjoy forever as Jesus himself even lives and reigns forever. You see, why would I trust him and live my life according to what he said? Because he is my Lord. And the only way you can claim that someone is your Lord is that it has actually changed you to the point that you delight in doing what he has instructed. Jesus says when all three of these things are true, then we are like someone who has built our home on a strong foundation. Luke here describes it as somebody who has dug into the ground and built this strong foundation. And it's referring in the ancient Near East to the reality that where Jesus was teaching, the ground itself was very hard. And it was tempting to actually build a house right on top of the ground without digging down and making sure that you were on a strong foundation. Jesus says that when we are in relationship with him, that we intellectually have heard him and that we have responded in faith that produces obedience, that what it shows is that our life is squarely secure because it is built on Jesus himself. It is not simply built on the thin uh, crust of earth that so easily washes away when the storm comes, but it is built on the immovable, secure rock that is Jesus Christ. This is how we enjoy security. Now, I know that there are times that even those who have come to Jesus in relationship, who have heard him intellectually and have believed him, and it is shown in the fruitfulness that flows out of them, often feel insecure. But in those times, we need to go back and remember what the source of our security is. You see, our security is Jesus, that we're related to Jesus, that he has allowed us to know about him, and that he has given us the grace of believing in him. It is that that gives us security. And the more we focus upon those truths, those wonderful realities, the stronger and more secure we will become, the more we will be able to say to the toils and thistles, to the trials and persecutions that come against us, do your worst, for I am built on Christ and only Christ, and I will stand secure no matter what storm this world or my enemy brings my way. This is the language of Martin Luther in one of my favorite hymns, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. He says, let goods and kindred go. That is, let everything that I love and care about uh, in this world be taken away. He says, I will still stand strong. Let goods and kindred go. This mortal life also, this body they may kill, but this truth abideth still. You see, what truth that abides even when all heck breaks loose? Jesus. Jesus stands firm now and forever. 
may we enjoy a life that it is productive and secure today and every day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for how good you are to us. We pray that you will help us even now to be planted firmly upon Christ, Christ who we have come to know and that we have trusted it with our life, the Jesus that we have heard and that we believe his words are true and this Jesus that we have put our faith in and seeing that faith demonstrated in our life. Oh Lord, I pray that this security will flow out into productivity as our heart is good only because it is focused upon our treasure Christ. Oh, help us to be your beautiful Christ-reflecting disciples in this world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for spending time with us in God's Word today. I hope it was encouraging to you. We would love to hear from you if it was. Uh, send us an email or uh, drop us a line. Go to our website. Give us a call. We would love to hear from you however you choose to do that. Uh, we appreciate uh, you listening or watching. We appreciate your support and prayers. Please continue that. And now I want us to leave with this blessing that comes from God's Word. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.